0: My, my main ethos is something I learned from Jay Abraham, which is highest and best use. This, yes. is, this must be burned on the inside of my um, brain by now, but <laughs> I, I say this to everyone. Whatever opportunity I'm looking at, I try and think what's the absolute maximum that can be done here and how can I be a part of that.
1: Welcome to the Get Invested podcast, where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time skills, and their money, and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests, every minute of every day, we're investing our time, our skills, our energy, and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, and sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You'll hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately, to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash Thanks for listening, and now, let's get invested. Hi Freedom Fighters, what is your highest and best use? Right here, right now, what is the highest and best use of your time, your energy, and your money? Well, this is a common property term used to assess the development potential of a site. It's also a great question to constantly keep asking yourself throughout the day to make sure you're doing the best possible thing with your valuable time. Is what you are doing right now taking you closer to or further away from where you want to ultimately end up, you may find that once you start questioning yourself on this, every time you go to do something, that you reduce the amount of time you spend distracting yourself with useless, time-wasting emails, flicking through uh, the internet, and/or finger flicking Facebook. But it's also a question that perfectly frames today's episode. Why? Well, a few weeks ago, we enjoyed an intriguing chat with Kevin Graham about the sizable benefits of building an online Amazon product-based business, commonly known as an FBA or Fulfilled by Amazon. Kevin's a former South Aussie turned global gypsy who's living the dream doing fantastic things in this space. He's what many describe as a location-independent digital nomad, which is just techno-babble for travelling the world and sitting on the beach In a hammock, sipping on cocktails with a laptop that you use for a few hours a week to generate the income needed to go anywhere and to do anything. Along with a lot of you, I got pretty excited about this as a potential semi-retirement play for us. And I wanted to know more. Googling the subject, which is always dangerous, I was coming up with incredible headlines like this one. How hundreds of young entrepreneurs are making generational wealth in less than five years. Now I was getting seriously excited. To check it out further, Kevin kindly introduced me to today's guest, Corin Woodmass, a specialist fulfillment by Amazon or FBA business broker who helps online founders sell and investors buy these type of businesses. He gets to see the good, the bad and the ugly of FBA online hustles and is perfectly positioned to give independent observations on the merits or otherwise of building or buying online business opportunities. Colin's a former Queenslander who has rapidly followed his nose along his very interesting and rapidly growing journey so far to position himself as an expert e-commerce business advisor. He's also an investor and a globetrotter himself, and he's living and working with his wife in such exotic locations as Prague, Barcelona, Vietnam, Chiang Mai, and New York, just to name a few so far. So should you look at building or buying an FBA business? If so, are you suited, what do you need, and what does it take to be financially successful in this space? Is an FBA business an alternative option to generate a passive income and to build wealth that will sustain your lifestyle long term? If and when is an FBA business worth considering? And finally, is an FBA-style online business for you? Corin openly, honestly and informatively answers all of your questions on this emerging and intriguing opportunity and the answers are really going to surprise you. So please, sit back and enjoy this lively and in-depth chat with Corin Woodmass. Welcome back Freedom Fighters, it's Bushy Martin and today we've got the real pleasure of spending some time with Corin Woodmass. Now, Corin is uh, a really flow on from the chat I had uh, a few weeks back uh, with Kevin, who's been very active in the uh, Amazon e-commerce space. And if you believe all the hype, there's some pretty exciting opportunities uh, to build, sell, and, and buy, and invest in businesses in that space. But Today we're going to find out the reality, so uh, welcome Corin. we're really looking forward to uh, diving in deep with that with you mate. Thanks for having me Bushy. Awesome mate, now as a fellow Queenslander, what I'm keen to do initially uh, for those who don't know you or what you do, can you start by just giving us a quick snapshot on who you are, what you do and where you're heading please mate.
0: Sure. Um, so right now, I'm the founder and managing partner of the FBA Broker, and we're the first business brokerage worldwide to start focusing exclusively on selling businesses that have an Amazon sales channel. And yeah, that's, that's what we've been doing for the past couple of years, and it's been going really well.
1: Fantastic, mate. Now, uh, let's, I want to backtrack to start and then work, work back to where you are now. And what I'd like to do, if we can, is focus on the period from when you left school, uh, what did you do, but more importantly, why did you do it and what was the thinking behind each of those steps so that we've got a a bit of a feel for uh, your intention and and motivations at that point. So you left school, what was the uh, next step from there, mate?
0: Oh wow. Okay. Um this <laughs> this would take a while. I'll I'll just go the high points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Right. Um so so I I hated school. I was never good at um at learning, remembering and and spitting out information. Um I've always been trying to carve my own path and a born entrepreneur. Um, so my first job, my first real job was in sales and um a constant theme throughout my career has been selling in some variation and i think i was attracted to selling because i was looking up to people like richard branson and and the likes and thinking i, I want to be rich i want to have my own choices and i figured that if i could learn to sell i i wouldn't have to um, constantly be working for someone else and, and taking orders because that's just not my personality yeah so throughout the years that um Meant I had more failures than successes because <laughs> I didn't really spend much time uh, learning what I needed to do. I just went out and did it. So, um, for better or worse, that's that's my personality, and um, that's that's what I did. So, <laughs> um, you mentioned before the call uh, window cleaning. So, I had a friend, a family friend, who um, who had his own business doing commercial window cleaning, and um, it it matched well with my my sales ability so he he basically taught me his business and i went out started uh drumming up business in my local areas and um up until maybe 10 years ago i never really had the um well 15 probably i never really had the uh, long-term approach i was always short-term so what could i sell today this week this month and i wasn't really concerned about next month next year um i read a quote somewhere that said um the, the amount you save is how much you um, believe in your future, or something. And then I started kind of working towards that. Um, but my, yeah, that's my, my personality. So I went from uh, selling, dot at all, the most successful thing I did was self foxtail door-to-door back in the day. Um, that was an amazing opportunity for um, 18, 19-year-olds like I was at the time. We yeah. uh, were making stupid money and, and blowing it all by Tuesday and then <laughs> having to do it all again. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, was, um, it was pretty fun. Um, then... I I got taken into. I actually uh, was really interested in commercial property. I have an uncle that's done really well in in property development and commercial property. So I wanted to figure out that business. Okay. So I started. Um, I was never really interested in residential real estate. I always wanted to go big. So I'd see these huge buildings. Well, what I thought was huge buildings in Brisbane City, they're they're quite small once you start traveling. Um, <laughs> I thought how to. How do these buildings make money? This doesn't make any sense to me. So I I um, was at a sales job and one of my clients um, was actually a, a, a commercial property manager for um, a, a company called Savills and they were in our building. So I, I hit him up. I said, hey, can I um, um, buy you lunch and just talk to you about the industry? And um, he, he actually had a job opening. <laughs> really? So he hired me. Um, which was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, that's a bad so of fire. Up. The
1: commercial property management, mate, is having owned yep. and run a property management business, that is absolutely diving into the deep end, no question about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, um, but it, <laughs> uh, it matched my personality really well because I got to drive around, um, go to all these different places, deal with a lot of different projects, and I found I had quite quite a knack for Um, project management and dealing with people. So my sales skills kind of helped out a lot there too. And I stayed in the the property management, facilities management of commercial properties for for probably about eight, seven, eight years. And then um, I kind of hit a a ceiling of, of what I wanted to do there. Yeah. And I started getting more into um, mark learning direct response marketing. So again, taking sales skills and trying to develop that online. Yeah, and, can, um, we, can we online just, because?
1: Sorry, Matt, d- just backing up there. When you, when you say you hit a ceiling, what 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 do you mean by that?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I, I kind of knew this earlier, but I I quickly realised that. Um, no one I was working with was actually owning any of the buildings. (laughs) We were all just working for these big funds. And, um, yeah, it's uh, to to get to that ownership level, it just wasn't – the the path I was taking taught me a lot about um, property, a lot about budgeting, a lot about um, financials, and then also project management, of course. But then I just – I was at the end of where – where I could go. I saw the guys that were in the more senior positions, asset management and the like, and I saw all their lives and I just thought, hell no, I don't want to do that.
1: (laughs) So they're they're people who are busting their boiler with a lot of stress, working really hard, but still don't have probably the the income or the capital to invest in property themselves. So they're sort of trapped on the treadmill. Is that a a fair description Uh, of what you're saying?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You have sort of in in Australia, um, obviously being Australian as well, it's you know there's there's kind of a um, a middle class mindset. I think without really realizing it, you think because your your salary increases that you should be living the good life. And really, because of taxes and other things, um, and just keeping up with the Joneses, you, you're on a treadmill. Like I said, you're not really going anywhere. You you can brag about your your income. In- increase by x amount but it doesn't really do anything and you're yeah. the one that loses because you end up working more hours and that just doesn't make any sense
1: yeah, to me yeah perfect perfect so that, and then the old lifestyle inflation kicks in because the more you earn the more you spend and then you actually you don't end up yeah. any better off so so what was the what was the trigger then to say okay well this is not working and uh, what were you looking for Let, let's delve into uh, where your head was going at that point Mm,
0: well I guess i was I was trying to figure out how to do my own thing mm. and uh, run my own business and because I had um, well actually there's a side story there that might be interesting mm. <laughs> with the investing uh, group here and that was we I had another friend who so this is a key thing always mine your network <laughs> and yes. ask people a lot of questions that 's one thing that has served me really well um, I had a friend a good friend who who was actually a contractor for me um in the in the property space and he he was just talking to me i think it was over beers one day he just said that um he mentioned about vending machines and how he's making all this um, semi-passive cash on snack and drink vending machines so yeah. we did that for about three years as well that's okay. actually what got me into online marketing um, i had actually forgotten that step yeah. So we we got <laughs> we got a couple placed um at my wife's work. She had a. Uh, she worked for a massive company, and um, we got a few of our machines on their levels, and they were doing really well um, at the time. You know, it was we couldn't believe that um, we were making this much return from you know, filling the machine a couple times a week. So I started looking because I was working crazy hours. I was on call twenty four seven, which was one of the reasons I left. Um, yeah. It was just it was crazy, yeah. but I couldn't. I didn't have the time to go out and find new sites. So I started looking into online marketing to try and drive leads of people that wanted vending machines. Yeah, so that okay. was actually um, okay. the first foray into online marketing.
1: Right. Right. No, yeah, that's good. Excellent. That sort of makes some sense then. So what, before we sort of jump into that full term, what, what ended up happening with the vending machines, mate? Mm.
0: So we ended up um, selling the... The main client we had, which was the uh, where my wife worked, they were relocating, and they it, it was kind of we could take it or we could not um, move with them and they had another vending company that was working that was trying to uh, to get the whole building, wow. so we decided to to sell and we because there was no cash flow, we actually sold the vending machines but what actually happened, which was interesting at the time, the vending machines actually sold. For the same amount I bought them for, Brilliant. so that was great. Uh, because a, a second-hand machine that's in good order is still a vending machine. It can still print you money. Exactly. And the the buyer of those machines um, also asked me if he could buy the website. Really? <laughs> and at the time. I, uh, this is funny to say now, but this was a long time ago. Um, I thought, why would you pay for
1: a website? <laughs> <laughs> Love so it. There you go. There, nice. Well, it's a, that's a that's a a, a great little, uh, I guess, microism in terms of running a business, seeing the cash flow, selling the business, and it's probably a bit of a precursor to where you then started heading down in the online world. So let's, let's take us on that journey, mate. So you started starting doing some research around how you can. Uh, drive more people to it. Where did did that lead you to?
0: Yeah, so I I started consulting on the side. Um, I I thought that would be the way to go, work with small businesses and help them figure out how to do the online stuff. What I found out pretty quickly was their budgets were tiny, and even if you got a few more people into, say, a hair salon, it doesn't really move the needle on revenue. Yeah. So I started thinking – I'm always thinking big – my, my main ethos is something I learned from Jay Abraham, which is highest and best use. This, yes. is, this must be burned on the inside of my um, brain by now, but <laughs> I, I say this to everyone. Whatever opportunity I'm looking at, I try and think what's the absolute maximum that can be done here and how can I be a part of that. So when I was looking at the the marketing world without a marketing degree, I'll add I um I started thinking okay I need to go where the money is here and big companies spend a lot of money on marketing and they a lot of them probably don't have a great deal of knowledge online. Um, interestingly, my wife had has a marketing degree. She's never worked in marketing, <laughs> um, and at the time she was <laughs> well, she was at uni. I was studying, I, I've, she always says I've studied more than her, even though I didn't go to university. And um, at the time, I, I was learning stuff about online marketing that she wasn't learning. And yeah. it, it's just so far behind. It's I've, it's better now, but back then, it, it just wasn't. Yeah. So when I, I started uh, using my sales skills, I just reached out to my network, started looking for any job in marketing with a bigger company. Yeah. And I managed to um, work my way into Flight Center, um, which is a massive company. that At the time, they had 14,000 employees, 60 brands worldwide, yeah. and it just so happens that the head office is in Brisbane. Yes. Um, I didn't know this at the time, but when after I was hired, quite awkwardly, one of the national managers asked me what university I went to, and uh, uh, I said, I haven't been to university. He, he went silent, looked at the boss who hired me. And everyone else at the table went quiet. Um, so that told me that I was uh, either not welcome or quite, quite an odd, odd hire. Are you um, serious? <laughs> and, I'm staggered. Yes, and <laughs> and the reason I was the only person I believe across Australia at the time without a degree that got into marketing without a degree was because I. I self-studied so much yeah. and had experience in online marketing. Yeah. I was able to tell them things in the interview that they either didn't know or thought, wow, that's a great idea. Um, I used my project management skills to run, um, implement projects faster than the previous guy before me. So yeah. all in all, they were pretty happy with, with me. And this is the best part. Um, I was, I was offered a position there a different position and, um, I had <laughs> I'd been working tirelessly on the side. Um, my wife was driving a lot of this because I like to I like to spend money. Um, she loves to save money, and um, <laughs> we we'd had good success saving for our wedding, and we just kind of rolled with that. Um, we we bought a house, and and we thought we were doing all of that stuff right. Yeah. That wasn't very interesting to us, and um, we started <laughs> hearing about people that were doing this um, location independent. Uh, digital nomad lifestyle, I actually hate that term now, but anyway, that's what got us into it. I was listening to podcasts at my desk, um, dreaming about being on beaches in Thailand and how I could make money online (laughs) while I was at this job,
1: and uh, while my boss... Sorry, mate. Before we, Go ahead. yeah, just uh, for those that that haven't heard that term, uh, location independent digital nomad. It's it's really just being able to operate from anywhere using a laptop, pretty much to generate your income. That's, but boiling it down to the basics, that's exactly what it's doing. And it sounds really sexy and sounds really attractive. And and uh, hey, it's it's caught my attention over the years too, uh, Corin. There's no doubt about it. But uh, tell us about uh, where where that led you to, because this will be pretty interesting, I reckon.
0: Yeah, so so my boss was super excited about offering me this this great opportunity, and um, I had to, <laughs> he, We we were talking about three things over coffee, and he wanted to launch with the best news first. And I said, sorry, mate, but can we we do that last? (laughs) And he kind of gave me a strange look. And then we discussed the other things that were going on. And then he he went into his pitch, and I said, "Uh, sorry, mate, um, I've got a better opportunity. And he said, what's that? I said, we're leaving in... in Uh, it was a month, five weeks, actually. I gave a lot of notice. It was um, five weeks' time. We were staying for our friend's wedding, and then we were leaving the Monday after. So um, (laughs) he said, where are you going to? I said, we're just going to travel the world. (laughs) So (laughs) being that I was working at Flight Centre, that kind of shook my team a little. They're like, how the hell are you doing that? (laughs) How much money do you have? And, uh, yeah, I was a little bit... um, coy about saying too much at the time because people just thought I was a multi-millionaire and um, off, off doing it. The reality was we'd saved up a, a bunch of money. We had our house that my sister and her family actually moved in to rent from us. Okay. Um, so we had the, the rental there. We had our, our little nest egg that we thought would be maybe a a couple of years on the road yeah. Um, if we were staying in cheaper places. So yeah. one, of the, one of the hacks when you get started on this is you can actually reduce your cost of living quite substantially once you start traveling. Yeah. So as, as an exercise, in the beginning, my, my wife ran the numbers while we were traveling. This, this will blow your mind and hopefully the audience's mind. Yeah. We were spending, just on our expenses in Australia, we were spending about 85 grand a year. Yeah. Um, at the time. Yep. Once we left, we went to 23, 24 countries the first year of traveling. Wow. And we spent under $40,000.
1: <laughs> Love it. Love it. And it's, yeah, because you yeah. don't need all the, the – the frills and spills, and and the cost of living in, depending on where you're travelling, obviously, uh, you know, eating and 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 staying somewhere can be next to nil if you if you're clever about how you do it. it, it share a bit of that with us, mate, because I think that's a, uh, you know, one of the the, the vision that my good wife and I have is that we're not far away from being in a position where our income is going to be very comfortably generated here in Australia, but we're going to have a series of locations around the world where we can live like kings at a fraction of the cost. So uh, because Australia is a relatively fairly expensive place to live, and uh, we've we've tried uh, already Mendoza in South America, and uh, we're we're looking at Vietnam next year. And there's a number of other locations where you can you know really enjoy a fantastic lifestyle on the smell of an oily rag. So share a bit of that with us. I'm pretty pretty interested, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so there's a couple of ways to look at this. Um, one is to to wait until retirement and then and then figure this out. So particularly in Southeast Asia I've met a few people that um, are retired they're enjoying the the lower cost of living but they they have a, a fixed income or a finite amount of funds right. so they they can kind of get caught on this trap where they they're living on the, on low cost but they kind of get stuck there yeah. they don't really have options yeah so this is where the the quote unquote digital nomad um scene comes into play so <laughs> yep. a lot of the the people i know kevin included um uh, you know set up somewhere like chiang mai northern thailand the yep. cost of living is is low yep. but the, the lifestyle was really high yeah and this allows you to um you know like if similar to what we did we had a uh, a nest egg saved up and we could have just stayed in, in Chiang Mai and worked on the business side. Yeah. And that first year we just wanted to see as many places as we can. So as it wasn't really about setting up a business. Yeah. Um, ironically it, it happened at the same time, but that's okay. just because I am who I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you could, you could essentially save up some cash, sell your house, whatever it is, you could go over there and, and try and figure out how to make money without the job that's one way to do it and yeah. you see a lot of uh, a lot of guys and girls between say 20 and 30 doing this right now yeah. there's quite a big scene there's a few thousand people in chiang mai at least in um, doing exactly this wow. so that's that's one way to do it um, what we found was we wanted to to try out a few different places and just see just see the world we um we did one trip after a year before we left, we went to um, Kota Kinabalu in in mm. um, Yeah, and then uh, we we made a decision last minute um, because of some uh, conditions that happened while we were there. Just things weren't going right on this holiday for some reason. And we <laughs> thought, you know what, everyone everyone we know goes to Phuket, so let's just go find a flight to Phuket, and we'll go see if we can change and like it over there so yeah. we did we flew to Phuket um paid extra fees and stuff didn't really care just whatever Get us to Phuket we had yeah. a great time and we were staying in a four-star hotel and I, I forget the actual numbers but the <laughs> we worked out that we could stay in this four-star hotel with breakfast um 24-hour room service cleaners every day uh, right across from the beach and it would be less than half what our mortgage was <laughs> maybe even less, um, and that kind of wakes you up. You're like, wait a minute! If yeah. I just move, <laughs> my my lifestyle can improve dramatically. Yeah. Um, over the last, we've been traveling full time or location independent for f- over five years now, maybe five and a half years. Nice. And the the amount of things that have changed for us kind of sound a little bit silly, but my wife and I, when we're celebrating an occasion anniversary or whatever um going to a restaurant just doesn't mean anything anymore because we often eat out (laughs) twice three times a day anyway um, wherever we are and um, (laughs) it's just the norm so for us to actually celebrate something we have to do something over the top which is which is fun but it kind of makes you think wow how far have we come when back in australia we'd we'd eat out only on special occasions and we'd get takeaway once a week and that was it. Yeah. Um, We'd, wouldn't even go to the movies that much because it costs so bloody much to go to the movies in Australia. Yeah,
1: good call. No, so, it's, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And it did, it, over a period of time like that, it would completely change your thinking around around all of that. So, so okay, that's that's really good. So you're enjoying the world. You're, you're looking around. Uh, you, being the person that shoot first and ask questions later, you you, you obviously. I guess swimming in that pond of – quite significant pond of people in Chiang Mai or, or similar locations elsewhere where people are starting online businesses decide to have a crack. Talk us about the, the what happened there, mate, if you can.
0: Yeah, so the first location we went was Vietnam, actually. Okay. And my goal was, after leaving Australia, was to not do anything business-related, um, not – just holiday. Yeah. And um, yeah. it took two weeks <laughs> before <laughs> I was sitting in a hotel in, uh, in Hoi An in the middle of Thailand. And uh, I started, I, I got an email from someone about um, how to build an e-commerce business. Yeah. And that was this little spark that got me started. Um, <laughs> also, the um, another side note, my wife had a... She's a little younger than me, so she had um, a visa for the UK, so she could go and work in the UK and, and live in the UK. So we thought, okay, we'll we'll do some, we'll do a bit of Vietnam, and then we'll go over to the UK and check out London. Okay. And um, after everything was booked. We didn't realize this was the case because we hadn't looked into it. It's funny now, but, um, I couldn't get a visa, so I, Ooh. I could only stay, they do six months on arrival for Australians. Okay. Um, and we just thought, oh, we'll just pop out, pop back in and everything will be cool. No, that doesn't work like that. Ah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a bit novice, bit novice to the travel, travel side. So uh, while my wife did, did try working in London, she just, that was one of her things she wanted to try out, um. She got a job in London for a couple of months. It was a contract position. And, and while she was at work, I was I was learning how to build e-commerce businesses. Wow. And a guy I'd met in Vietnam was from London who had an e-commerce business. I was consulting for him as well. So we were testing out how to make some money while we were going around. Yeah. And uh, that was a... That was a really interesting spot. Um, at the same time, this kind of got me into what I'm doing now. I was looking at visa options for me to stay in London. Um, why on earth would you want to stay in London year round? I'm not sure. It's a cool city, but the weather is shocking. Oh,
1: and, and isn't there <laughs> um, periods where there's, you've only got daylight for about four hours a day, so uh, I would want to be well away from there and yes, during that period of the year?
0: Yeah, and coming from Brizzy, mate, that's just fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool.
0: Yeah. So um, I was looking into that, and one of the visa options is an investor visa. So if you invest X amount, you could um, buy a business in the UK and, and get a visa. So I started looking at at businesses for sale in the UK and started thinking, what could I do with with my Marketing experience could I maybe make a business better, and what were the multiples and that type of stuff? Hmm. At the same time, the I think it was the guy who was doing the e-commerce training linked to a a report that was put out by a company called Enturica. They still do this; they do an annual report of website sales okay. and anything with with a website, and they talk about multiples and different verticals and stuff. And they mentioned at the start of this report five years ago that that was the first year that they saw multiples for online businesses being higher than brick-and-mortar offline businesses. Right. And because I was literally looking at offline businesses, brick-and-mortar stuff, I, I saw the same thing. I thought, wow, this, there's something to this. Yeah. Why are why are people paying more for a website that isn't real? You can't touch it, yeah. feel it. Um, it. Of course, it's real, but they... they um, it's not physical, exactly um, intangible. Why people pay more? And um, yeah, exactly. It's intangible. Um, the The reason for that was they could generate the income from anywhere. Yeah. So I got really interested in this in this topic, and at the same time, I know you're into property, but this <laughs> this was my experience. Um, we had a single house yeah. um, in in the north of Brisbane, um, yeah. and what my sister was paying was. The goal was to cover the expenses, really. Yeah. Um, but what we noticed was, if anything went wrong with the property, we'd, we'd have to dip into our own pocket. Right. And if we even went to market rates of what we could rent the property for, the situation was pretty much the same. Yeah. They weren't really paying that much less than market rate. Yeah. So we decided to sell the house. Yep. And um, that was a that was a fun experience. I was in Vietnam at the time while we we're trying to sell this house, yep. and. Um, it sold in a couple of weeks, which was great. The mm. property market was super hot. I I literally don't even watch it anymore, so I'm not sure what it, what it's like now. But back then, it sold in a couple of weeks, yeah. and we priced it to sell and and cashed out. We we made a good return on that, and yep. thanks to Aussie tax laws, we didn't have to pay tax on that yes. that um gain because yeah. it was our principal place of exactly. residence. Exactly. Still. Yep. So yeah, so that that was a nice little windfall, and I thought, well. Why don't, I've been looking at all these online businesses. Why don't I start um, investing, seeing if I can in, buy something, build it, grow it, and sell it? Yep. And that was my, my approach. So I ended up building a pretty pretty sizable portfolio of, of money-making websites, for yep. want of a better word. Um, they were all different types of affiliate or... Um, affiliate AdSense kind of income. So I had about 25 or 30 of those cranking out good cash. And um, the e-commerce business that I'd started to build from scratch was also starting to make some money. So we spent a, a summer in Berlin where we we're literally working the four-hour work week. Nice. And um, there was about 50, 50-odd friends there from Chiang Mai that we'd met that had all come over to Berlin. Yeah. We're having the time of our lives. I mean beers on the spree every afternoon and, um, you know, just doing whatever you wanted, which was amazing. Yeah, amazing. And at one point, uh, I was drinking a little too much, too often, <laughs> and uh, I woke up one morning and I thought, hang on a minute, why aren't I really happy? <laughs> what What's missing here? Okay. Okay. <laughs> and um, I thought, it's kind of funny to say, I mean, you, you might hear this from someone who has a massive multi-million dollar exit say this occasionally, I've got friends that are in that spot right now where they they sell and they have this money or they have this income and it's not what they thought it would be. And that was definitely the case for me.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Um, So I was – Just jumping in there without without, uh, uh, trying to interrupt your flow too much. I interviewed someone recently who's like a multi-million dollar uh, uh, business builder and he's done it three times and every time he sold it it was like that's it i'm never going to do it again but every time he started another business because 9 months in he said he was he was emotionally and clinically depressed because he had no purpose he had no drive mm-hmm. uh, there was nothing to get out of bed for uh, he he's realized that that he needs that driving purpose to uh, keep him motivated and keep him happy, basically. So uh, he actually enjoys the cut and thrust of, of building a business. And it, it sounds like uh, yeah. you had a pretty similar experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I firmly believe that. I, I think the only really... The only real reason to get out of bed in the morning is to go achieve something, whatever that is. It doesn't need to be business related, but whatever that is for you, and it just so happens that that's what it is for me. Um, So at at this time, um, while I was, I wouldn't say depressed, um, I was just kind of uh, disillusioned with where I was, um, and I couldn't tell anyone this because people (laughs) would have hated me for (laughs) saying it. So it was all all internal, right? It was internal conflict. Um, But at the same time, I had friends reaching out to me saying, how do you even evaluate these businesses? How do you know the income's real? Um, I'll take you up to lunch if you can tell me more about this. And a friend of mine was running an event and he said, can you come and speak about this stuff? Okay. I actually declined. Really? I declined speaking at the time. Yeah, which is funny now because I I will – crawl over broken glass to speak somewhere these days. <laughs> but back then, <laughs> back then I just was like, look, man, I, I don't know what I'm really doing, what I want to do longer term with this, so I'll, I'll pass. Yeah. And, and um, that was interesting, though, because I had people coming up to me saying, how do you, they all, everyone pretty much had online businesses. So they were saying, how do I prepare for a sale? How do I evaluate for sale? Yep. What are multiples looking like? Who are the buyers? All this type of stuff. Right. And um, I had some really interesting conversations. So it was actually, I was pretty much a broker for free at the time <laughs> and I was loving it. I, I didn't care. Um, I was making way more money. Well, I was making no money from this. I think I got bought one lunch, but everything else <laughs> was uh, uh, making me all this money. But this free stuff I was doing on the side was just really interesting. Right. And what I've realized since then was a couple of things. One... With my personality, I need to be talking to people, um, engaging with people, helping people is kind of my the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning. But then also, as a side note, the, the founders I work with, so I only work with founders, yep. um, so people that have built the business from scratch, Rob. and some of these guys... The, the drive and the the tenacity of these people is just super inspirational. Yes. <laughs> it really makes me fucking lazy. <laughs> Feel lazy. <laughs> I, I'm like, wow. If this guy's doing this, I'm uh, I, I'm doing something wrong. But um, no, for the most part, the clients are amazing, and uh, yeah. equally now on the buy side, the investors I'm working with are super sharp people, have yeah. really big plans, and I've finally found an arena where. I'm not the the one thinking the biggest in the room, like and it. that's that's really important to me.
1: Yeah, awesome. That's a pretty a big and early uh, realization, Corin. So, uh, so that's pretty exciting. So, you're now in the space of of dealing with both ends: people building, people buying. Uh, and probably in a fairly rare uh, location really in the context that you're getting to see the good, the bad and the ugly right across the board in all shapes, sizes and, and types of uh, businesses where uh, you know, the FBA or Fulfillment by Amazon business and, and perhaps just explain what Fulfillment by Amazon is for those that, that may not have heard that term if you can.
0: Sure. So you may have heard the term FBA business, um, which I think is um, is a bit misleading because anything. Anything can be an FBA business. Uh, doesn't mean it's sellable or should be bought, but we'll, we'll dig into that. Yeah. But FBA stands for, like you said, Fulfillment by Amazon. So essentially, you're using the Amazon platform to market, sell, and fulfill the delivery of your product, yep. which is a pretty great ecosystem. Yep. Amazon in the US is driving around 45% of online e-commerce sales. So it's a, really, it's a behemoth. Massive. Um, so if you can get your products... On there, it's it's a really good space.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now let, let's talk before we sort of get into the the nitty-gritties of the buy-sell thing, uh, because as a you know, it's the old story. By the time the taxi drivers heard about it, it's probably too late. But uh, there's a, <laughs> a lot of interesting talk around you know the the generational wealth that people are making in these style of FBA businesses. Uh, is that the case? Uh, if so, what does it look like? And if if someone was looking to either uh, start and build a business and or invest in buying one of these businesses, uh, who are they and what should they look like uh, and should they do it? I mean, there's about 15 questions in that, but can you sort of just talk us through <laughs> some of those key things to, just so that people are hearing the, the real info rather than the, than the dream that they might be picking up from listening to uh, information from other sources.
0: Sure, yeah, I'd love to. So let's let's unpack that. The first one is the generational wealth. Generational wealth. So um, two years ago, we started the FBA broker in mid 2016. Right. Back then, the average valuation I was doing was around three to four hundred thousand. So call it three hundred fifty thousand US dollars. Yep. Was the average size of business that we were valuing back then? Okay. Fast forward to 2018, we now have a minimum list price of one million dollars USD. Wow. So now we're doing seven and eight figure deals instead of. Uh, low six-figure deals. Mm. So the market itself has grown significantly and we are now, all of our clients effectively, we're making millionaires right. when they sell. Yeah. So there's a lot to that. Um, so it's not just, hey, I want to be a millionaire, come to you with nothing and we'll make you a millionaire. Yeah. There's a lot of work that goes on behind that. So I'd love to unpack what's what I'm seeing as um, Businesses that are being built right now that can continue to be sold sold for seven eight figures and ones that can't.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Let's dig into that.
0: Mm. So in the FBA space, you'll you'll typically see a training of how to. Um, make how to put in five hundred dollars and create a, a multi-million dollar business. Um, that's <laughs> bullshit. Um, <laughs> plain and simple. That is bullshit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it does not not happen like that. So I um, the e-commerce business I built, we actually sold, and we turned. We took some of that cash and put it into a business that ended up we we sell health supplements it ended up being an amazon-based business okay that wasn't the intention (coughs) excuse me that's just what happened and um at the same time i started uh shortly after started in the brokerage space so that's kind of how i got into it so i've been on both sides of the fence i've been a buyer seller and now a broker and in the, in the FBA world, there's a lot of ways to make money through Amazon. Not all of them are, are an asset that you can sell. So the only real way to to define this is, is what I focus on now. So when people ask me what I do, I say I work with founders of consumer product brands that have an Amazon sales channel. Right. So that's really what I work with. Yep. So the things that are selling that have real value, that investors want, is is when you can solve a real problem for a customer yeah. and they love your products and you can give them more products. Yeah. So ideally, this is the cool thing with Amazon that no one really talks about. Everyone in, in courses talks about how to find what's selling, go source it from China, throw it onto Amazon, get it ranking and you'll, you'll be a millionaire. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, that actually worked, mind you. <laughs> now yeah. it's getting really hard.
1: Yeah, I was going to say to go it's, from
0: scratch.
1: Yeah, like any any pioneering business, anyone who jumps into that pioneering pioneering exercise, if if they're half smart, can do all right. But we're probably at the stage of the life cycle now where the people selling the gold gold pans are making the money, as in the courses to, to flog this idea, whereas the people who end up with the gold pans are, are you know looking at pennies rather than. Than pounds. Am I reading that right?
0: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the ecosystem changes so fast that a course that was written two years ago, um, I have friends that sell courses, so nothing against the courses. I mean, that's how I got into e commerce. I did a course. (laughs) So it it helps to learn. Um, But I wouldn't take everything you learn as Gospel, you have to you have to be willing to figure it out yourself. And what I've seen recently is people literally giving up because the old ways don't work. The market's changed, Amazon's changed, the customers have changed. Of course, it's maturing, and uh, the rules have changed. Yep. So yeah, absolutely, it's maturing. Um, There's a there's less space at the top on the first page of Amazon search results for a lot of products. So there's less room to break in and and get, get an easy win. Yep. So what is working right now, if you're starting from scratch, is is figuring out a problem first. Yep. So building a real business basically, figuring <laughs> out what, what your target market has a problem with. The great thing with Amazon is you can you can dig into reviews. You can buy these products, you can try them out you can look at the reviews, see what people are complaining about, and then make it better, right? So a friend of mine does this in in one of the sports niches. He's really into that. Um, So he's been testing his products. He gives the products to his friends. He makes them better, tests them, and then sells them. So while they're not proprietary or patented or anything, they are better than what's available on the marketplace. And, you know, if you can build... If if you find that one first thing, so say it's you're in, in this niche, you, you love this market, you find a, a solution to a problem that people want to buy, and then you find other products around there that they'll also buy before, during or after that purchase, yep. then you're on a winner. Yep. If you can if you can build products around that audience and build a brand, even if you're not selling a ton of um making a ton of revenue outside of Amazon. If Amazon is your main channel, but you've built this audience yep. outside of Amazon that you can actually go and talk to. You could go to an event and sell your products in person. Yep. This comes back to the selling thing, right? Of course. <laughs> Don't be afraid to sell.
1: Yeah, exactly. If you
0: can get to that point, that will always be sellable. And I can go into the, the details of what makes a business sellable once it's in that spot. But yep. that's really what we look for. And that's what the smart money in this space is looking for.
1: Yeah. Now, give me, can you give us a, a sort of a, a real example of what you're talking about here? So just so we put some some shape around what sort of product and what sort of uh, uh, modifications or, or improvements. I'd just, just like to put some shape around that if we can.
0: Sure. Um, unfortunately, that's going to be a little bit tricky because okay. um, in this space, it's – You'll find that a lot of people don't talk about their niche. Of course, of course. <laughs> so that's giving, it all giving you an, an yeah, an actual example. I I can't. Um, what I'm trying to think of is something outside of of um our clients that would give yeah, a reference. Yeah,
1: point. yeah, gotcha. So, Understand.
0: Um, app, so I I have a ton of Apple products on my desk. Yeah. I know that you're not going to build necessarily the next Apple, but I'll explain why. This is interesting. So, yeah, the, the Apple Apple products are higher priced than their competitors. Yeah, arguably in some ways maybe better, maybe not. But the they really know their audience.
1: Yeah,
0: right. So they they understand what you want, what you want next, and give it to give you the best experience while buying the product. Yes. Um, I'm in Barcelona, Spain right now, and I bought a. Um, some accessories for my, my laptop over at the, the store here. And the Apple store is absolutely packed Yeah, <laughs> because everyone wants Apple products. Yeah. Um, so this isn't exactly replicatable, but if you put – I read somewhere that um, when Steve Jobs came back to Apple that he said to the team uh, – he got kicked out as CEO then yeah, back in. Yeah. And he he had a table in front of him and he said – All we're doing is what's on this table. (laughs) So if it doesn't fit on this table, we're getting rid of it because it expanded the product line too too far. So they really understand their core audience and they deliver products to them. Because of their marketing and positioning, they can charge higher prices for arguably something that you can get elsewhere, or maybe even now, some of their products aren't even the best products in the marketplace, No, but you still love them.
1: The brand is so strong that uh, it's almost a prestige item now when you're carrying a uh, yes. There's a culture, yeah, exactly. a cult that's actually developed around the whole Apple branding piece. So I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm hearing is, and what you're saying is, which is no different to actually starting any business, is identifying a real problem to a real set of customers and then uh, mm-hmm. marketing to them so that they, they see you as the pinnacle of, uh, the best person to provide that. And then you add things on, yes. but they're all still part of that. So you're extending that and you're creating repartments repeat and loyal customers as a consequence of that. So that's, that's just fundamental good business sense, really, if you're going to build a sustainable, profitable and sellable enterprise, which is awesome. The, um, but what I'm hearing then, that the old days of uh, white labelling a, a baseball cap and flogging on our, on amazon uh, <laughs> that's a go nowhere proposition basically is uh, is what i'm hearing so what am i right then in saying that uh, the days of just creating this sort of side hustle where you've got this little thing uh, off on the side without generating much time or import and and doing it alongside what you might be doing during the day is probably probably fool's gold that uh, what we're saying is if you're going to invest in this thing or you're going to build a a FBA-style business operation, then it's probably going to be a full-time commitment. Am I right in saying that or not?
0: Um, Only if you're wanting to sell the asset. Right. So there's still plenty of arbitrage side hustle opportunities. They're just not sellable. Yes. So you can still make money and probably short-term cash. So it depends on your... On your um, goals, yeah. So if you're wanting to build something large that you can have a, a large exit that can change your family's future, um, you need to put in a lot more work than previously.
1: Yeah, yeah. You're, you're building a real business, really, with 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 uh, staff, infrastructure, marketing. It, it's a it's a real deal business, is what we're talking about. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, and it's not for everyone. Um, you can definitely start this part time. But if you know if you don't have the um, the drive or members on your team, founding team that have really strong um, financial skills, really strong passion about creating a better product, physical product, you don't have a niche that you live and breathe, it's going to be really tough to get there.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I just want to test something because one of the major risks I see to this long-term, and I'm not talking short-term, but in the long-term, I mean, Amazon is a clearly a very smart business because they're creating – the marketplace where everyone's going to play and they're making it relatively easy and they're incentivising people to do that at the moment because they're just growing their reach because yeah. uh, they want every every man, woman and his driver's dog to be doing business via Amazon. Won't they reach a point where they've got enough of the market capture where they'll start tightening the, the screws and uh, changing the equation, which they've probably already done to some degree, but it'll start squeezing margins and uh, making things a little bit tougher. So that, that I'm just thinking in terms of the lifeline of this business uh, and uh, when to sell before perhaps that, that major current opportunity starts to dwindle. What, what's your thinking around that?
0: Yeah, so ideally, um, I think it would be really short-sighted to build something from scratch right now just to sell, yeah. only based on Amazon. Yeah. Um, and that might sound weird because that's a lot of the business we do, but that's what I'm seeing in the marketplace right now. Yeah. <coughs> Sorry, mate, I'm still getting over a cold. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> You're <awesome>. uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah, with, uh, with Amazon, so the way I would look at it if I was starting from scratch right now is Amazon's a great way to prove the model. Yep. So you can find the problem, you can get some sales, you can build a, a large business, seven-figure revenue business in a couple of years. Okay. We've got clients that have built seven, eight-figure revenue businesses in a couple of years wow. using Amazon as the base. Wow. But the thing to, to think about out there, that's unheard of in traditional brick-and-mortar business. Yep. You know, you'd never do that in a retail store. That's impossible um, exactly. unless you had the best location in the world. Yeah, um,
1: an amazing marketing. So yep. it,
0: it, oh, absolutely. Yeah, you need a, the perfect storm. Yep. Um, you you founded Fidget Spinners or something, Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> um, which is another story. But, yeah, um, <laughs> so you can – if, if you want to build something sustainable that's sellable and you're thinking in the back of your mind, this single channel could change at any time. And Amazon, you're right, they are squeezing margin. They're increasing. Um, the commission is flat, so it's 15% of the sale is yeah. a selling commission on Amazon. But, but every other fee is flexible. So their fulfillment fees, their storage fees, um, advertising fees, all of these fees just keep increasing. Right. And they're really just trying to figure out how to make the most amount of money possible out of every transaction. As so that would. is their goal. Yep,
1: yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. So you get the the option to find to sell to their customers, but on the other hand they'll charge you for the privilege. So longer term, it's it's really about how else can you reach a customer. Yeah because, and that that really goes back to the knowing the customer's problem knowing the target market really well if you can go to an event and people are lined up at your stall or tent you're onto something yeah and you could definitely build something outside of Amazon and yeah. you can use some of the profits that your business is generating to do that yeah a lot of people don't want to do that and i get it it's hard and um, so right now we're seeing a window of opportunity where a business like that that has some potential outside of Amazon can be sold. What I'm predicting is, is in the next 6 to 12 months, maybe it's 24 months, a, a real tough thing to sell. So I think, especially if it's a random mix of products that don't have a, a single core target market, yep. that buyers are getting less interested in that type of business Yeah, and and eventually it will be, you need to be diversified because Amazon will change. We're going through a deal at the moment. Um, the investment manager that's that's vetting this business is actually saying, look, I, I love the business. Here's my offer and here's why. And one of the things he's looking at is the, the margin compression or the fee increase from 2016 to 2018 is yes. what he's looking at. Of course. And he's like, okay, well... This, this increase is significant and it's going to increase. So I can't, I can't base my future on, because the bulk of the income is Amazon, I can't base my offer on future revenue staying the same. Yes, exactly. Or future margin Double staying margin. the same at least.
1: Exactly. So
0: he knows. Yes. Yeah. So he knows that he needs to take some of the cash out of this business to diversify. Yeah. So that's factoring into his offer.
1: Of course. Smart. Very smart. So, okay, well, let, let's let, let's say uh, tomorrow uh, I decided that uh, I wanted to uh, build a FBA-style business. Uh, who am I? How much cash have I got to have in my pocket? What am I up for? Uh, what's the journey look like? And uh, with, with the crystal ball firmly in hand, uh what sort of a an exit strategy am I likely to be adopting, mate? Can you put some put some shape around that for us?
0: Mm, yeah. Um and that's that's a tough one. That's that's evolving pretty quickly. So I can <laughs> say what I'm seeing right, right now, now? Yeah. as far as what yeah, what what buyers are looking for now. Yeah. Um in two, three, five, ten years that could be Change significantly. Yeah. Um. The the first question I would ask is is this if is this business model for you is the first question I would ask. No. <laughs> because, um, you may hear someone say I had a seven figure exit and think, Oh, great! I want to be a millionaire. How do I do that? And I did it in four years. Oh, great! Yeah, I can I can do that in four years. <laughs> um, the, the, you can underrate how much um, pain struggle. Um, sacrifice that you actually have to go through to get to the other side of that. Yeah. So, um, that's number one. If, if you know someone that sells physical products, even if it's not on Amazon, um, if it's their own products, they're, they're sourcing, designing, sourcing, go talk to them. See, see what the day to day looks like. See if that in any way, shape or form looks like something you want to do. Number one. Yeah. Uh, number two is how much capital do you have? So if you have, you know, say up to fifty or maybe even a hundred thousand dollars to put into this, whether it's cash or leverage, I wouldn't leverage off of this for Risky. to get started, yeah. but if you're yeah if you're working with you know five figures of cash, you're yeah. probably in the build category right, so I would literally go and look at all the things you like doing all the all the things your friends like doing. Um, what what sports do they do? What hobbies do they have? What are they really interested in? What do people around you spend stupid amounts of money on and don't even blink? Yes. and start there. <laughs> yeah, and and figure out if you can get in where the money is already flowing, even before looking on Amazon. That's what I would do. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of a book. Oh, there's a really good book. It's called The Boring Letters. It was written by Garrett Halbert. He um he was one of the um top copywriters of all time. Um he he lays this out perfectly. It's called The boring Letters because he was actually in jail at the time and he was writing <laughs> I love this. He was writing letters to his son Bond um about how to how to get into marketing and life. Um <laughs> this this book is hilarious. I love it. And um it it's just a great read and it will literally tell you how to find the target market and how to um how to find products, not necessarily products, because he talks about information products, right. but how to find a niche and how to leverage that niche. So it, it's, a, and then how to sell it more importantly. Awesome. So if you read that, that'll give you a good, a good primer. Um, I would look at this even without Amazon, uh, literally, and then yeah. add Amazon on. You know, once you f- figure out what the products are, the, the target market, but pre- a them and stuff. Go on Amazon and see if there if there's a market for them. Are people buying them? There's a ton of tools that tell you how much things are selling. Uh, take that with a grain of salt. They're not all correct because Amazon yeah. doesn't share that data. Right. Um, there's very few of them that match what the. Uh, once we see a business very few of those tools actually match but it can give you a good sense of how much Sales volume is in that category, right. and then see if it's it's worth it. Um, one thing that's underrated, and uh, I think not enough people talk about this, is margin. You really want massive margins to make it worthwhile. You don't want to go in with skinny margins because your your margins going to be compressed by so many things. Yep. Amazon being the biggest, yep. if that's your main sales channel, yep. um, reaching your customer is expensive any problems with the product you're gonna to have to eat. So you need to uh, you need to have cash flow to reinvest in the business. Yes. So yeah. If you're if you're thinking longer term for an exit, you really want to be putting everything back in the business and yeah. potentially even more capital than you start with yeah. just to get that snowball rolling and then and then off to the races. You you build that business as as much as you can, keep an eye on your margin and then own, own the customer as much as you can, yeah. and then you could potentially go go for an exit.
1: Yeah, what you've just described, Corinne, uh, in an online world is exactly what my wife and I did with our rent roll business. So we sussed out the opportunity, looked at the competition, uh, started slowly and surely. Uh, we had, a, for the first five to six years had a simple reinvest before reward strategy so everything went back into the business we worked tirelessly and my wife in particular who drove that business worked uh, incredible hours in the uh, the first five years uh, The business wasn't ready for sale until 10 and uh, it was about 12 before we actually sold it and by then it was bulletproof it had uh, uh, a great swag of committed uh, landlords in long-term contracts great properties with high rents uh, very low vacancies and a very low um, debtors exercise so it was a really good quality business and therefore uh, in, in fact it was so good in the property management world the buyers didn't believe the numbers and uh, <laughs> which which becomes its own challenge because if you stand out uh, people don't believe it so uh, we, we ended up doing pretty well uh, in that context but uh, what I'm hearing you say is that th- there's there's a lot of blood sweat and tears in going through that process and if you think this is just something that you can throw some money at and then it's going to look after itself then you're kidding yourself right
0: absolutely yeah. and that's that's the true story there is you're you're building a business so, Ideally, you want to think longer term. Um, yeah. You know, if you, if you could build this thing, grow it for 10, 10, 12 years, and really get behind it, that's ideally what you want to build. You could potentially sell that earlier in the space if, if the metrics were right. Yeah. But the, the buyer coming in wants to see that runway. They're not going to buy something they think is going to die tomorrow.
1: Of course. Exactly. It's got to have a history. It's got to have committed clients. There's got to be the clients locked into yep. contracts or, or regular repeat clients that make up a big percentage and mm-hmm. a diversification of the product range and all, all of those things is, would have to be there. If, if I'm going to, let's look at it from the other side. So that's from someone looking to, to build and sell. Uh, and, and let's look as an investor now. So let's say I'm looking at a vehicle that's going to give me a cash flow. And I don't want to go through that pain. I just want to pick up something that's going to uh, potentially help replace uh, my income so that I've got some time back to do other things. One, is that achievable? And if it is, what sort of money have I got to spend? And how? what's, what's the likely lifeline, given all these, these competitive pressures and the, and the control that Amazon has over that? Is that a realistic thing that's going to give me a regular income for any sustainable period of time?
0: Mm-hmm. So, I wouldn't look at it as a passive income. No. Um, the the ones, once this, anything online that moves so fast, once it becomes passive and you're not paying attention to it, will whittle and die over time. Yep. It just, it will. Yeah. So, I, I would only invest in this space if you had an unfair advantage. Right. So, what's an unfair advantage in this space? Well, one is capital. Because if you have access to more capital, um, a lot of these businesses, like, we, so our, our supplement business isn't growing, it's actually in decline. And the reason I didn't sell this even before it was in decline was I, I ran the numbers. I thought, okay, well, what could I sell this business for? And I looked at the capital return I'm actually getting from products. So, yeah. one of the hidden gems in a, a physical product business. Is the return on capital you get just from the inventory itself? Right. So right now we're putting thirty-five percent in our pocket after all of our fees, just for the amount we spend on inventory. Nice. I can't get that anywhere else. <laughs> That's ridiculous.
1: That is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> so, um, so for me, if I didn't have the brokerage, I'd be building that and um, actually be on the acquisition side but I'd be I'd be building that I'd be reinvesting that capital to generate more of that crazy return yeah so um, that's that's how I look at it as the built it from scratch yeah. if you're looking to acquire and grow and um, when you know that your products return that much capital and you're coming in with more capital, there's a potential for you to to deploy more capital get a better return yeah. but the unfair advantage you really want on top of that is an understanding of something in the supply chain yeah whether that's from uh, acquiring the customer elsewhere outside of amazon is it you you know chinese sourcing you know manufacturing yeah. you know s- selling on amazon you understand packaging you you have something else that you can bring to this table other than just oh this this business has made x amount over the last twelve months, that's a good return I can get it for two to three times that that net profit number that's great I'll get my money back at thirty percent return per annum yeah. it doesn't actually work like that No. <laughs> especially no. you know I. I mentioned before we started recording, we passed on probably 90% of the businesses we see, and there's a reason for that. It's because I I started as an investor. And my whole goal with this is to only bring high-quality brands to market, brands being the key point here okay. is is something that's a real brand that someone an investor can look at and say okay I can grow this. There's yep. cash flow to invest but I can also put more capital in and make it more defensible and sustainable over time yep. and that's really the type of business that I would be looking to buy if I was on the investor side. The downside of that is in the lower price points under a million dollars it's really hard to find. Right. The uh, we, we report on, we track and report on all of all the public business sales that have an Amazon sales channel that sell physical products. Yeah. We've been doing this for over two years. Yeah. And for 2018, we've done a half yearly review. It's on our website. And you can see that that the sell through rates under a million dollars, 10%. Wow. And um, we're tracking 220 odd listings worldwide right now. So there's a lot of businesses for sale, which sounds. It's like a lot of opportunity, but the vast majority of those will not sell. And quite frankly, should not be bought. So really know what you're doing. Do some research. Reach out to people that are selling on Amazon. Find out where the opportunity really is. Um, and and be, be smart about it. Do your research. Um, don't blindly buy this stuff because you... Yeah, unless you just want to have a play with it and you don't care about your money, <laughs> yeah. um, that's that's one way to do it. Yeah, um,
1: I I've often go on. Sorry,
0: um, I often get asked if you have what what's the perfect amount to start with. Yeah, and I have actual Amazon sellers that that reach out to me or they are in the space, and I say I've got a hundred thousand dollars. What should I buy? And you know, that's that's really. Not enough, yeah. in my opinion, a hundred thousand US because the vast majority of deals under a hundred thousand um, are, are that small for a reason. Yeah, so maybe they've maybe they've got to a point in the market where they're the leader and that's all it's going to do. Um, maybe they've quickly found a niche, and they're just offloading it before the thing tanks. And there's no longevity, no history there. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of this. Um, of course. You, you know, We see everything that's public, so we see a lot of these businesses that just aren't sustainable, um, really low margin, um, just not not a, a deal that should be bought, but they're still being bought for different reasons. Yeah. So, I'd, yeah, Unfair advantages is you want to build an unfair advantage before you start looking at acquiring. If yes. you do have an unfair advantage, it's an absolute gold mine. <laughs> it, it'll yeah. take you time to find the right deals. But, man, the returns on these can be amazing. If, if you're coming in with an unfair advantage,
1: yes. you can really do well. Yeah, because you're then value adding to something that's already – existing and taking it to another level. So just so what I'm hearing, I'm just sort of trying to sum this up for those that might be listening to us. So if I'm going to look at building an FBA business, I've probably got to be starting with 100-odd K-ish. I'm, tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, or somewhere between 50 and 100 that I've got to put in, and then I've, I've got to – this is a pretty much a full-time proposition. If I was going to invest what I'm hearing is uh, into something that is sustainable, then I've, I've probably got to be spending you know, a million bucks. Am I am I getting close to yeah. the mark And what you're seeing?
0: Yeah, so you can start with a lot less. I think you can start with a few grand, 10 grand, okay. maybe, um, okay. to get the ball rolling. Yeah. from scratch but you'll right. need to reinvest and you'll probably need to put more money in once you figure out what's working just yeah. to get the, the momentum so um, probably, on the buy side if
1: yeah. i yeah, go on sorry
0: yeah on the buy side if i was buying i would really be looking at the million plus range and yeah. um, for the most part the sell-through rate's almost 40 percent at the one to five million range yeah. so for the most part they're better businesses not always, but for the most part, they've they've actually got some momentum there. Yeah. Maybe there's some team members that you can leverage as well. Yeah. Some of the smaller businesses don't come with any team at all, um, so you're really left doing the, the work yourself. Right. So that's a, a bit of a risk if you don't if you've never sold before. Cool. And um, that's that's not a hard and fast rule. We've seen some some smaller deals that would have some upside potential. Um, the The upside of the smaller range, hundred to a million dollars US, is in list price is that there's a lot of buyers, so it's really a buyers market below a million, right. and somewhat a seller's market above a million. Of course, but, um, yeah, it depends what what you're coming in with, but yes, if you're on the buyer side for this space, you really want access to. More capital, I, I would look at this as a, as a team exercise, not as something I would do on my own right. personally um, right. people would maybe disagree with that, but that 's how I would look at it
1: yeah, I think you 're reading the market pretty well, so put some quantify some sort of margins and return on investment for me so I, and let 's parallel this with uh, a long term investor in property here in Australia, so I give an example uh, let 's say here in Australia. Uh, you go out and buy a good quality property for half a mil, uh, it's giving you probably a 5% net return. Uh, the uh, cash on cash, because you're leveraging, you know, let's assuming you're borrowing sort of 90% of it, uh, it's pretty high, uh, very high, because you're not using a lot of your cash to se- secure that asset. Uh, and let's say that you know, a property cycle takes anywhere between 8 and 15 years. So be conservative. Let, let's say that the property doubles in value uh, in 15 years' time. Uh, that's that's probably a, a fairly average sort of a, a race that you would run on a property side. Uh, let, can we parallel that with what you're talking about in the FBA space in terms of cash-on-cash cash return, uh, net margin and uh, the sort of equity or capital growth that you might... Experience and over what sort of timeline?
0: Yeah, sure. That's that's a great example, actually. So, <laughs> this is this should be a, a warning, a um, a warning sign for someone looking at this space is that it's really hard to get debt on a fifty thousand, hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar deal, yes. even in the millions range. Yes. And it's super hard to get debt. To acquire an online business, right? And you could argue that there's a reason for that.
1: Yes, well, I've so always for the said most part the, part you're the, needing, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd just sorry to jump in there, mate, but just to expand on exactly what you're saying, I've always said. The fact that a bank will let you borrow 90 to even 95% of a property tells you that the bank sees property as a very safe place to stick their money because they're not into t- taking risks and they're about making money themselves. So if, you, if it's very difficult to borrow money to get into something, there's a big flashing red light there. Mind you, uh, in saying that, the space that you're playing in is so new and so pioneering to the likes of the Conservatives that are likely to be in a lending institution that... Uh, uh, it would scare the hell out of them anyway, regardless of how good it was.
0: Yeah, exactly. And with the property, it's super easy. If you stop paying or you die, they go sell the property. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. um, if you buy a business that's operating, that doesn't operate without you, then that's a different story. Yes. So for the, for the most part, I'm, I'm researching quite heavily the middle market right now, which is in the U S they, they call middle market, anything from a $5 million list price to 250,000, 250 million, sorry. Wow. Is the middle market. Middle market. And, um, so, <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, Doing a lot of research in this space myself because we're starting to have eight-figure deals, and I want to know how the the funding works. Yes. And the this research I'm doing really um, highlighted a problem at that price point, even. So when you when you've got a business generating fifty, hundred million in revenue, your your options to funding change because the the risk profile of the business reduces. Yep. But then if you get to a billion in revenue, the, the options are wide open. Um, I was talking to a firm that have – they're probably in the half mil, half billion to billion range of revenues, and they have access to a line of credit that's six times EBITDA, so their uh, net profit, kidding. annual net profit, at
1: 2%. Serious? Yes. Good, good grief, because the quantum is so high that they're still making money out of it. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's because of their history and their, what they've done and how big their business is. Yeah. So the, the capital the capital markets see that as less risk yeah. and they'll put money in that all day long yeah. and they don't want much for it because they, they can't invest wisely. And the the higher you go um, in the sizes of capital deployment, the more capital there actually is. Yeah. You hear the term rich get richer. Well, it's actually true true in the capital market too yes. so even if you think oh okay these guys have a hundred billion dollars to spend surely i could go to them and say give me a million dollars to buy this business is the return when they're trying to get a return a decent return on that whole hundred billion dollars investing a million for 30 percent just doesn't make sense no no, nice. so that's part of the problem in the financing side. Okay. and uh, there's a lot of risk on the low end. So small businesses always struggle to to raise capital, to raise debt, and governments around the world often have programs where they'll back the lender to in, to help uh, small businesses get funding and yeah. get get debt. So that's that's a little bit on the debt side. Mm. So uh, as far as so we can really talk about cash. Cash returns because a lot of these deals are done with um, predominantly equity. So buyers equity. Yeah. So the group buying the business puts in their own cash. Maybe they raise a friends and family round, and um, or have a rich uncle that that backs them. Yeah. So that's that's one of the ways that guys are doing deals in this space. Then deal structure can actually help you a little bit. So maybe you. Um, you space out the payment. You keep the owner involved in some yep. way, yep. and give them rollover equity yep. moving forward. Yep. Um, so, and, or you could use some seller financing. And I can go into what these things are if you like, because that might sound like Chinese.
1: No, that's okay. Well, we probably probably don't need to. But I, what I am keen to just sort of put a little bit of shape around is those those key key numbers. So, what sort of a hmm. um, uh, net return? Uh, you're likely to see from yes. a, a uh, revenue perspective? What's, what's your cash on cash? And because you can't leverage, obviously that would limit it to some degree. And then mm. w- w- over what, what period are you likely to see the growth? So let's say a, a property doubles in uh, 10 to 15 years and we're seeing a, a year-on-year capital growth figure of, of uh, somewhere between 6 and 8% in that sort of vicinity. Uh, how does that sort of equation apply to what you're talking about?
0: Sure. So it's not exactly uh, apples for apples, um, but I'll I'll explain. So in 2017, out of all the deals we saw closed, the average net margin or average claimed net margin of the businesses that actually sold was 30%. Wow. So, yeah. That's massive. But that's using... (laughs) That's that's using a a formula called seller discretionary earnings. Yep. It's not EBITDA. So. Um EBITDA is Earnings Before Interest, Tax Depreciation, and Amortization. So it's not the actual cash that the owner would put in their pocket. It's how we we normalize income. So if you're running the business, you could potentially... One thing it doesn't take into account is how much they're putting into inventory, for example. And that's separate. Use a cost of goods sold method. Yeah. Um, so you need to factor in how much inventory you're you're going to pay. Also, doesn't factor in taxes. Yeah. So you need to figure out your own tax structure because yours will be different to the seller in most cases. Yeah, of course. Um, and then what you need for growth. So how much would you actually reinvest for growth? Yeah. So your actual net return that you would put in your pocket on a 30% net margin business could possibly be... 15 to 20 okay. percent after all of that's taken out
1: okay still pretty healthy
0: yes absolutely yeah and tough to get elsewhere
1: <laughs> yeah yeah and the, the sorts of you know, again this is how long's a piece of string but uh, I'm, I'm talking let's say 10 to 15 years in property before you've doubled doubled your capital uh, let's say uh, you've built something from scratch. Uh, what sort of a a realistic time frame are are you looking at to get in a position where you've got a a reasonable capital growth on your equity?
0: Um, Sure. So I'll just close the loop on the buy side because I think that that timeline is actually helpful. So the reason there's a 30% net return um, is because the – the multiple that the business will sell for is a multiple of cash flow or that SDE number, seller discretionary earnings for the past 12 months. So typically you're seeing a list price anywhere from two to three times what the business made over the past 12 months. So in essence, you can get your money back in theory in three years' time buying at a 3x multiple. And it may or may not exactly pan out like that, but that's what you're looking at. But the thing you're missing, or we haven't really talked too much about, is the the return on capital for inventory. Yeah. So yes, you need to do deploy more capital into inventory, but that's a second um, cash on cash return engine that you have inside the business, and oh. you can always liquidate inventory, right? So um, there's two two returns that you're looking at in a physical product e-commerce based business. Yes.
1: Yeah, good call. Good call. Because I I keep thinking services because that's the business I'm in. So uh, that's a a good call. Yeah, awesome. Look, um, that's been a very useful discussion to put some reality around the, uh, the, I guess, the living the dream scenario that uh, is often put out there that you pick up elsewhere. And I really, really appreciate you going into quite some detail and putting some shape around that, mate. I think it's going to... Uh, really uh, allow the listeners to make some more informed decisions around whether that's something they've, uh, one, have an interest in or, or, two, have the ability to even consider. So uh, that's been very useful, thank you. But coming back to yourself now, mate, um, uh, what's the, uh, uh, the question I generally like to ask, and we, we do that of anyone we look, at, look after here in our business, is what's, what's your dream lifestyle look like? Uh, does it differ from your current lifestyle and with you probably not? And uh, what are you going to be doing to uh, invest to either bridge a gap if there is one or, more importantly, make that sustainable Mm long-term?
0: That's a great question. Um, So since my Berlin experience, I make a point of never settling. So to say I'm... (laughs) where I'm at right now, um, would, would be against my, um, my forward momentum. So <laughs> I'm very happy with my lifestyle. Um, I will put that out there. Um, for sure. I, I get to live, um, in cool different locations. Uh, we can, I got asked to speak in London and, and I was on a plane a week later, um, from Chicago to London, just done. Let's go. Awesome. Um, so that's cool. Um, on the what am I investing in? So right now, our brokerage is growing super fast. So my actual workday lifestyle is pretty horrible right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Like like you were saying, building the rent roll business, uh, you need to put in the work, right? So yeah. to uh, to get that return. So yeah. right now, it's a lot of a lot of grinding. Um, I do. I love eighty ninety percent of what I do. So it's it's fine. Um, yeah. But I am investing in building out my team and building out systems in the actual business to make it more sustainable. My my goal is to actually be able to do deals without myself being involved. And wow. that's not because I don't want to do deals. It's just I know to expand, I'm going to need to do that. So this yeah. year, we'll do, uh, say, $20 million odd in transactions. Next year, I want to do $100 million. So wow, that's that's a leap. Um, I'm not going to be able to do that on my own. So that's something I'm heavily investing in, in time, money, and energy, is building a team, training them up. And I think we can build something really sustainable here. I often get asked, what do I think about the Amazon space, and is it going to evaporate over time? And um, I think Amazon will change, but I think our core, core business of helping founders of consumer product brands prepare and sell their business when it's right for them is, is always going to be there. It's it's always been there, always will be there. So we want to focus more on on that. So that's what I'm investing in heavily. Um, also on a personal level, I'm investing in, um, a visa for the U S and getting set up over there. Um, we would, my wife and I, as much as we love the freedom of traveling around, we do want a home base. Yes. So we're, um, we're looking at options to do that right now, um, which will take time and energy and money. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I'm working
1: on. Yeah, also, mate. That's fantastic. Mate. Well, look, I, I'm mindful of your time. Uh, you've been very generous, uh, very generous so far. But there's a couple of the, the old ambush, bushfire, lightning round that I like to sort of close off the podcast on with some regular questions that the audience are really keen to get your thoughts on. So I might kick straight into that, mate. But what's your favourite quote and why?
0: Yeah, I think I mentioned it before is highest and best use from Jay abraham it, um, it, it just it's the perfect thing to ask yourself when you're looking at anything yeah. is this the highest and best use that i could get from whatever i'm doing and that yeah. served me really well
1: yeah that's a cracker because if you start your day with that question this is the highest and best use of my time then uh, that will soon sort out what your priorities are. It's an absolute cracker. All right. What about? Uh, and you've mentioned mentioned a couple of good books already. But uh, in addition to those, is there a top book that you'd rec- recommend people read? And and again, why?
0: Sure. Um, so in this realm of of physical products and investing, um, a couple of books that. I can't just give one because um, I, I <laughs> yeah, read a lot. I, I've been I've been known to read two books a week, so um, <laughs> I'll just pull up my Audible and see what's what's the top stuff. So yeah. I, I read a book recently that uh, if you're looking to invest in businesses is probably the perfect book to read. It's called "I Love Capitalism: yeah. An American Story" by Ken Langone. He's the co-founder of Home Depot. Um, in the US, so yep. he's he's someone that I, I really admire and look up to. He started in investment banking and then really took off once he started investing in businesses. Yeah, he's 83 years old now. Works seven days a week holidays with his staff and clients and loves every minute of it. Love it. He said he wouldn't sleep if he didn't have to. So he lives <laughs> and breathes what he does. Love it. And I think if I could get to that age and still be loving it, that would be awesome. i right um, The Snowball.
1: Yes, the, Warren the Snowball Warren Buffett special. Is, yep.
0: You've, you've read that? Yeah, it's yeah. oh, a cracker. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> as far as a, a good story, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. He's the founder of Nike as well. That's, that, that was a great book. Um, and Total Recall, somewhat controversially, yeah. um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography is amazing.
1: I agree. Uh, Arnie's uh, sometimes misaligned, but he's if you look at his life from way to go, he's he, he's really ticks some yeah. boxes. There's no question about it. He's a uh, big uh, fan of property too. It is. No, you're absolutely right. Okay, now this one's a little bit left field for you, given you're a globetrotter, but uh, uh, but it's something that's near and dear to the hearts of a lot of Aussies. Uh, what's the top thing that you've done to minimise your tax?
0: <laughs> oh man, um, I've gone round in circles on this for for a few years. So um, <laughs> I love Australia in a couple of for a couple of reasons. One of them is our tax system for the most part if once you actually cut ties with Australia, you're no longer tax liable in Australia. Yeah. So I love Australia for that. Um, I think <laughs> that they're they're going to tighten up on this in the future and we're we're planning accordingly. But um yeah, yeah that's that's what I managed to do. But literally physically leaving the country will actually, if you set things up right, will mean a zero-tax situation in Australia if you remove all ties, Love which isn't it. easy to do. So that's a, a very extreme way to, to minimise taxes.
1: Yeah, but I can see what you're doing and, and then depending on when you there, then decide to put your income, there's a whole bunch of quite beneficial countries around the world that mean that you're minimising your tax as well, so I'm sure you're probably taking advantage of that, which is awesome. Okay, uh, What's what's the worst and the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received, Corin?
0: Oh, um, yeah. Related to this conversation, it wasn't advice. It, it was advice in my own head. <laughs> was was looking at returns on a um, an asset, a digital asset, so a website for sale, and expecting that return to continue. That's just a novice um, approach. Yeah. And I. I Bit, bit the bullet pretty hard on that one. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's uh, I've had the, the good and bad of that. Um, best <laughs> advice I've ever received? That's a good question. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, before I started the FBA Broker, I was actually in Barcelona at a bar at a conference talking yeah. to a friend of mine, and we were talking about how to get into the brokerage space, and I was saying, look, there's all these firms that have been around for 10, 15 years in the online space, how do I ever compete? And um, I, at the same time, I said, this FBA thing is building momentum, there's a lot of buyers. And he said to me, mate, just, just go be the FBA broker, no one's doing it, go do it. <laughs> and I thought the uh, market wasn't big enough, but I'm happy I really took his advice. Um,
1: yeah, Yeah, it's very good <laughs> advice. It's, it's funny, you know... Uh, uh, I've found the same thing in, in business in Australia. The, it's almost counterintuitive because when you're starting a business, you think, oh, no, I've got to be there for everyone just in case I miss out and I've got to pay the bills. But the funny thing is the, the deeper and narrower you get, uh, the, the better off you are because you've, you're coming back to that uh, unique point of difference that you spoke about before. Uh, you're going to attract that tribe. And as long as you're clear on what that tribe is, then you're you're giving your business a much better chance. So uh, that that is very smart advice, no question about it. Now, that's awesome. Final question then, mate. Um, If you were to speak to a school leaver, what would you advise them to invest their time, money and skills in to create freedom?
0: A, a school leader?
1: Did school you say? Le- a school leaver. So someone's about to leave school and uh, they've come to Oh, school lever. Yeah, Yeah, sorry, yeah, yes. so, <laughs> yeah, sorry right. mate. They're just leaving school and they've said, Corinne, uh, I don't know what I should do with my life, but I, I want to be financially free. Uh, what should I do? Where should I invest my time, money, and skills to make that happen?
0: Absolutely. So I call, from my core, I believe sales skills are the. Hands down, the best skill to have, um, regardless of business that you go into or investments you do, um, you need to know how to sell. Because no, if you, if it's your business, no one else will be able to sell the business as well as you can. So I would, I would learn to sell. I would go do a commission only sales job. Everyone hates these. I cut my teeth doing. Um, commission-only door-to-door sales, and it was the hardest and best thing ever did. So definitely go do some sales, learn how to sell. Then you'll be able to um, create your own destiny, really, truly. If you can knock on a door, pick up a phone, and make a deal happen, that income coming in, you, you have no limit on what you can do.
1: Spot on. Brilliant. That's awesome. All right, mate. Um, what's next new and exciting for uh, Corrin Woodmass and FBA Breaker? Sure.
0: Well, we're actually um, building a new brand, so I'm, I'm working on becoming a the leading middle market advisor for product brands looking to go to market. Specifically dealing with founders, so yeah. that's a, a project I'm working on. So it'll be an extension of the FBA broker, yeah. um, but it's something I'm super passionate about: is is working on these larger deals and really changing the lives of our clients, figuring out how to get their business in a place where it can be sellable, yeah. um, and and getting a great exit for them. This yeah. this is literally what I it's my calling. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I love I love that, and I'll keep doing that.
1: Yeah, awesome, and it's it's the old story. You're you're niching upon a niche because, uh, and what you're also doing is narrowing the exercise. So that you, it's the old high margin, low volume routine where you're getting a much bigger bang for your own buck, but having a lot more fun because you're dealing with better and greater people on on uh, getting a fantastic result so yeah it makes makes perfect sense to me all right love your work mate look uh, that has been absolutely awesome you've been very generous with your time and very open about the realities of what uh, uh, e-commerce business particularly with an amazon uh, uh backup has been uh, that's been very informative to me and those that uh, would have an interest in that area, so very appreciative of it. Uh, if people want to contact you to talk more, and you know, I think you, you occupy some very rarefied air in that because you're looking at businesses across the board as a go-to person uh, initially to understand what they should be doing, so they can then come back to you at the point they decide to either buy or sell. I think you're extremely well positioned. So, uh, how should they be doing that, mate?
0: Sure. So if you're interested in this space, buying, selling, what have you, go to FBA dot com and you can get our latest report. So I mentioned earlier we've been tracking all the public tracking and reporting all the public sales in this space for over two years. So you can get that report, no opt in required. And if you want to see what's happening on a weekly basis, there's so many deals in this space. We now do a Market Watch Monday email. And the best thing whether you're a seller or a buyer, is at the end of each of those emails. So on, the, on that same page, you can opt in for this. You just say yes to Watch Monday emails. Um, we'll send you an email each Monday. At the bottom of that email, we literally link to every new listing we find each week. So back when I was investing in online assets, I would have loved a resource like this where someone just compiled everything that's available and gave it to me. And we also comment on what sold the past week for what multiple and what the new listings are and what multiples. So we've been tracking, tracking and reporting on this for for years. So jump on that list. It's free. You can just opt in. You can opt out whenever you want, but it's a great way to see what's happening in the space. Mm. And you can reply to any, any one of those emails, me or one of the team will, we'll get back to you with, with help. Um, We often refer buyers so i said before our our minimum list price is a million dollars us now yeah. and above so um, if someone's looking to invest less than that jumping on this list is the best way to find what deals are out there and and see what's happening in the market
1: right so, yeah absolutely brilliant, mate Well, look uh, again uh, Love the work you're doing. Uh, you've been very, very generous with the time and the information. It's going to be very useful to a lot of us. So keep up the great work, mate, and uh, keep glow trotting. And uh, I'm sure at some stage, mate, I'll bump into you in the traps. Uh, I'm not sure it'll be a bar in Barcelona, but uh, we like to travel as well, mate. So I'll make sure that I chat you a beer when, uh, when we actually um, – uh, the universes uh, <laughs> uh, collide. Damn. And uh, keep doing what you're yeah. doing, mate. It's awesome work.
0: Yeah, thanks, Bushy. This has been fun. Thanks, Karin.
1: Appreciate your time, mate. Talk soon. Bye. Thank you. Well, Freedom Fighters, how good was that? You get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes, just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au. That's H-E-L-L-O at khgroup.com.au. Or check us out at www www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash getinvested I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast so thanks for listening and as always dream as if you live forever and live as if you'll die tomorrow